if you would turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11. It's been uh, an amazing blessing. I've loved studying this passage this week. So many joys that are revealed in these uh, three verses. And, and uh, today, as you know, is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, most of us will probably be watching uh, the football game later on. It's a, it's a pretty big deal um, in our country, around the world. But, um, but as we get into this, the reason I mention the Super Bowl is for one purpose. is um, Do we really believe, really believe that what we see in these three verses is the greatest thing that we will see all day today. I mean, one of the things I've been asking um, people, even in their Bible reading, as we come to the Lord daily in His Word, do we really believe that it's the most important thing that we will read, that we will hear all day long? That it's God's Word, and that today there's nothing better that you will see than, than the verses that are printed on this page. It's that God has spoken to us, and He's... He's written it down and we can stand before his word. We can learn from his word. We can hear from him through his word. And what a great, great blessing that is. And so with that in mind, let's approach it and, uh, and ask him to work in us. I'm going to read it and then we'll pray. If you'd stand with me, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the truth that it tells us. God, I praise you for the truth of this passage, Lord. That in Christ we can be made completely new. In Christ we can be washed, we can be set apart, we can be justified by you, God. So help us, Lord, help us as we approach these verses. Give us a heart of worship that we would respond to you and that we would do what you have called us to for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, again, um, Paul uses a rhetorical question to start off this section. Verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This demands an affirmative answer. Yes, that's true. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And his emphasis from from verse 1 of of chapter 6 all the way through verse 11 is, is, is the same. The Corinthians need to live in a way that is consistent with their identity in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. This is what God has done. This is how he has set you apart. And you need to live in that identity. That's his emphasis here. And so when he uses the word unrighteous, we need to remember that he's writing to the church. The saints, 
And so when he uses that word unrighteous, the implication, and as we read through this longer section, the implication in the context is if a person's behavior is consistently that of which he describes in verses 9 and 10, or to say it a different way and to use his, his words earlier in the passage, if someone bears the name of brother and cannot be distinguished in behavior from an unrighteous person, then maybe they're not among the saints. If you're living contrary to the Spirit, it may be that you need sanctification. You need to grow. You need to, like Paul writes to the Ephesians, you need to put off the old and put on the new. That may be. But one of the things that Paul is pointing out here is if that's a continual thing, that you are living contrary to the Spirit, then it may be that you need to be saved. Then maybe you're not a saint. Now, I want to be sure here that, that we understand Paul's not, Paul's not referring to in this passage isolated acts of unrighteousness. He's not saying, look through this list, and if you ever do one of these things one time, you can't go to heaven. You can't, be a, you can't be a follower of Jesus. He's not saying that. He's not referring to isolated acts. He's referring to a way of life. He's referring to a way of living that says, by the way that I live, I don't believe in God and I don't need God. It's a pattern of living for yourself and for unrighteousness rather than for the things of the Lord. It's not those who who see the error of their ways and when they sin, they turn to Christ and repent for what they have done and how they've offended Him. He's referring to those who willfully continue in their sins. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God will never belong to the wicked. That's what Paul is saying here. It will never belong to the unrighteous. Something has to happen. Something has to change. Something has to be different in that person for them to be a part of the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God when he refers to uh, that they won't inherit the kingdom of God? What is that? What's he mean by the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the realm that believers in Christ belong to, that he has authority and reign over the people of God. We see a great picture of of that that transition that takes place from the kingdom of unrighteousness to the kingdom of God. If if we look through a couple of passages I want to look at, but just to read through, and you can listen, okay? As Paul writes to the Ephesians, gives us a wonderful picture of this is what you were. This This is the kingdom that you were a part of. And then something happened and you were transitioned into a new kingdom, an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, he gives us this picture. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved." 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we have this picture. This is what you were. You were dead. You were living for yourself. You're following the course of this world. You're following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. You're following him. You're following the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. You were carrying out the desires of the body. You're carrying out the desires of the mind. You're by nature children of wrath. But then something happened. God intervened in that, and you're no longer that. That's what you were. That's the unrighteous life. That's what you used to be. And then God intervened, and you transitioned from the kingdom of unrighteousness to the kingdom of God. And now things are completely different. And things should look completely different. That's the same thing he's saying to the Corinthians. Don't you realize that that's your old life? That's what you used to be and if you if if you just think and you understand and know that the unrighteous they cannot have they cannot inherit the kingdom of god jesus talks about the kingdom in in john chapter 3 you have nicodemus who comes to him approaches him and asks and, and nicodemus is a man who who thinks he's a part of the kingdom of god his thinking is i'm a part of the kingdom of god because of fleshly reasons I was born into the kingdom by flesh. My great, 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 great grandfather is Abraham, and therefore I am a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus addresses that. Nicodemus comes to him, and in verse 3, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So from the very beginning, Jesus says to him, you cannot even see, people cannot even see the kingdom of God unless something happens. Nicodemus is thinking physically, naturally, Jesus says, no, 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 something, something else has to happen for you to even be able to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds in verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's, again, naturally he's thinking physically because that's, that's how he thinks. Jesus has already said you can't even see the kingdom because your eyes haven't been opened yet. So he's thinking physically. How can, how can, I, go, can I go back into my mom's womb? Can I, how can that happen? How can it be possible for someone to be born again? Jesus replies, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus says, just look, flesh begets flesh. Flesh produces flesh, but for us to be changed spiritually, we need the spirit to do that. Spirit produces spirit work. 
And unless that happens, you can't even see the kingdom, Jesus says. He goes on, he says, don't be, don't marvel, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't be surprised, it shouldn't surprise us that it takes a spiritual work, not a physical work, to enter the kingdom of God. It shouldn't surprise Nicodemus, it shouldn't surprise us, it takes a spiritual thing to do that. In verse 8 he says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Just as the wind blows and it goes here and there, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You, you hear its sound. You see the effects of it. But you don't know where it comes or where it's going to go. The same is, is the case for the Spirit. There's, there's, a, there's a necessity that, that we have of, of the Spirit working in us to awaken us. God moves in people's lives and then they can see the kingdom. If you, if you turn to the page before that, the very beginning of the book of John, in verse 11, it says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's what Jesus is referring to in, in John chapter 3. It's not... It's not because of your will or your work or what you did. The Spirit had to do something in you. The Spirit had to work in you and awaken you to even see the kingdom of God and be a part of the kingdom of God. It's God's work. It's God's doing inside of us that draws us and works that in us. And that's what Paul is referring to when he talks to the the Corinthians. He's saying, that's you. That's true of you. God did something in you and you should realize, you should know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. God had, the Spirit had worked inside of them and done something supernatural inside of them, but they weren't acting like it. They weren't living as if the Spirit had worked in them at all. We've got to remember that at the very beginning of the book, he refers to them as as saints. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. He's writing to the church. He's writing to saints and he's saying to them, don't you, don't you get it? Don't you know there was a supernatural work that happened inside of you? to allow you to be a part, to even see the kingdom of God. Don't you know that the unrighteous cannot inherit that? That they'll never be a part of that? That's what Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Do you not know, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived in this. It's amazing to me how the church... Any time that, you remember what the Corinthians are struggling with here? As we've seen already, this humanistic thinking that they're allowing into the church. And, and, and as the world is thinking, then they're allowing that thinking to come into the church. It's amazing to me how any time that humanistic thinking comes up for an excuse for the things that Paul has listed in this passage, that so many people who are part of the church will back away and almost say, well, well, let's rethink this. 
You know, Paul gives us this list here when he explains the, the unrighteous. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, don't be deceived. But how easily people are deceived with humanistic thinking. He says, neither the sexually immoral. And then we hear someone say, well, you know, th- this guy's not a sinner. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a problem. What, what the problem is, is he's addicted to sex. He's got an addiction. He's not a sinner. He's got an addiction. And so people from the church, well, we need to evaluate, is this guy just sick or is he a sinner? Paul says, don't be deceived by that. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's amazing to me. We could go through every one of these and think how the world speaks into this. And we'll say, well, he's, he's not sinning. Don't use that word sin. He's sick. And, and here's his problem. No, Paul's telling what the problem is. It's unrighteousness. We do those things because of unrighteousness, because of separation from God, because of a sin nature inside of us. So he gives us this list as he's explaining the unrighteous. There's a similar list that he gives in in the the chapter before. In chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, where it says, Not at all. Let's start with verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. So we have a similar list in chapter 5 when he's talking to the believers and referring to those who bear the name of brother, who call themselves believers. And now he's saying that, that those who do these things, those who live this way, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a warning in this. There's a caution in this. If you're bearing the name of brother and this is your life, this is what you're giving your life to is unrighteousness and not to God, you need to evaluate. Am I truly a saint? Am I truly living for the Lord? Have I truly embraced the gospel? Have I truly treasured Christ and surrendered my life to Jesus? Don't be deceived by these things. Don't let the humanistic thinking, the world, let you back off on these things. This is truth. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our heart's response as we read through that. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That they can never, ever, ever inherit the kingdom of God? That that's an eternal thing? Our response to that really reveals our our thinking and our belief about judgment. That Jesus in, in Matthew 25, I referred to it last week, we don't need to turn there, but in, in Matthew 25, Jesus, the same Jesus who says, whoever um, uh, believes in their heart, that's not what he said, he's, Paul said that. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish. The same Jesus that, that said that, whoever believes in me, and the same Jesus if, who, who said, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden. The same Jesus that said that in Matthew 25, he says, at the end, when, when God comes, he's going to sit on his throne. 
And he's going to divide people on the left and on the right. And he refers to them as the sheep and the goats. And, and, and the goats are those who are the unrighteous. And as you go through that passage, then you see that what happens to the unrighteous is that, that they're sent into an eternal punishment. That's what Paul's talking about here. This is an eternal thing. The unrighteous will never inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Just like us, something needs to happen. Something needs to change in them. And the only way that's possible, just as Jesus said in John 3, is by the work of the Spirit. But do we believe that? Do we believe that there will be a judgment and that the unrighteous will never inherit the kingdom? Paul says, don't be deceived on those things. And then he says in verse 11, he says, such were some of you. Don't you know, don't you realize that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he lists this description. It's not a full list, okay? It's not a complete list of unrighteousness. But here's a list of, of unrighteousness. And then he says, and such were some of you. Some of you were this. Some of you were these things. Some of you were characterized by all of these things. Some by some of these things. Remember, he's writing to the church here. He's concerned about the absurdity of those who have been called to be holy, living unholy lives. How can we who have been set apart live as if we haven't been set apart? How can we who have been changed, who used to be this way, and and the Spirit has worked inside of us, how can we live as if there's been no spiritual work in us whatsoever? One of the points that Paul's making here is that their new life will make itself apparent in a new lifestyle. And if there's no new lifestyle then is there new life? That's what Paul writes in Ephesians. Put off the old, put on the new. Since since God has done this in you, in in chapter 4, verse 1 of of Ephesians, since God has done this, since your identity is in Christ, then, then walk that way, live that way. As Peter writes, live holy in all of your conduct. Why? Because God is holy. And you've been set apart. As we, as we go through this, I know, I know over the last probably three or four weeks, I've mentioned that a lot. Live holy in your conduct. And one of the po- things that Paul's writing here is, is emphasizing that, that we, we're called to a life of holiness in our conduct. We've been set apart as holy, but we're called to live that way. And, and the thought may come up in, in your minds, is that legalism? But for us to continue to, to just say Paul's calling us to live a life that, that is holy and set apart. And, and like he says in Ephesians, to put off the old and to put on. Is that legalism? No. Unless you're trying to live that holy life by your own strength and for your own glory. That's legalism. That's doing it in my own strength so that people will look at me and think... Look how good he is. And I'm just this rigid, I'm going to do this, do this, do this, and I'm going to get the glory for it. And that, What Paul's talking about is not legalism. This is new life. 
This is holy conduct that the Spirit does in us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit works in us this new life. It works in us the fruit of the Spirit and and helps us to put off the old life, the old nature. That's what the Spirit does. If we've surrendered our lives and our desires to Christ, then we should expect, as Paul's saying here, we should expect this. We're also called to engage in the fight. That's what putting off and putting on means. We're engaged in that. We have a, we have a, a, a couple in our church that is getting married this Friday. Alex and, and Sarah, they're getting married this Friday. They're not in this service. So you don't have to look for them. But. but they get married this Friday, okay? So you have two single people. And they're getting married. Is it legalism for us to expect of Alex that he will act like a married person as of Friday? That's not legalism. He's married now. So we ought to expect that. And in the same way, when we're married to Christ, when, when, when we come to Christ, when our identity has changed, it's not legalism to expect us to act that way. That's who we are now. So we ought to be living that way. And we need to fight that, that idea that anytime someone tells us that we need to do this or do this or do this, and it, and it relates to the Bible and Scripture tells us to do that, that that's legalism. It's not legalism. There should be a natural expectation just as I'm expected to act like a husband because I'm married. I'm expected to not act single anymore then those of us in Christ, we ought to be expected, as Paul's saying to them, we ought to be expected to live as those who are married to Christ, who are, who are, whose identity is in Christ. He says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. One of the crucial components of, of coming to Christ and coming to salvation by grace is this understanding that what we bring to the table in salvation is unrighteousness. That's it. When I come to Christ, when when the Spirit works in me and draws me, the only thing I'm bringing to the table is verses 9 and 10, is unrighteousness. That He's doing this work inside of me that we're going to get to as we get through the rest of 11. But what I'm bringing, I'm not coming to debate. I'm not coming to bargain. I'm coming needy to Jesus because all I have to offer Him is unrighteousness and I'm needy. I need Him to change me. Paul says that's what you were. That's what, this is what you were, but you're no longer that. Why? He tells us here, something happened to you. You were washed You were washed. Washing refers to spiritual cleansing from guilt and from the dominating power of sin over us. We've been washed. We've been cleaned from guilt. And that happens when we're regenerated, when we're made new in Christ. Titus, Paul writes to Titus in Titus 3, 5, he says, He saved us, Jesus saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you've been washed. That's what you were. Some of you were these things, but now you've been washed clean. The guilt is gone. Are you living that way? 
We symbolize washing and the washing of baptism. As Paul's in Jerusalem and he's recounting what happened to him on the road to Damascus. He refers to when Ananias came to him and spoke to him. And he says, and now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Baptism is a picture of that. That's not implying that that the act of baptism is what cleanses him. It's a picture of what has happened. That washing, that renewal that happens by God in a person's life when they surrender their life to Christ. That that guilt is washed away. Baptism is an outward symbol of that. The cleansing from sin that occurs. 1 Peter 3.21 where Peter's talking about baptism. He says, baptism which... which, um, What's the word? Corresponds. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt, dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Now what is the this that he's talking about? Baptism that corresponds to this. He's talking about Noah and the ark and how Noah and his wife and his kids got on the ark and God saved them. He used the ark as a picture, as a method of saving them. But it wasn't the ark that saved them. It was God that saved them. And so Peter says, baptism, which corresponds to this, just as Noah and, and his wife and his kids enacted, demonstrated their faith, showed their faith by getting on the ark in the same kind of way, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. It doesn't wash your dirt away. That's what he's saying. It, it, it's not what saves you. It's not as a removal of dirt, but as an appeal to God. As a demonstration of faith, as as saying to God, I believe, I believe, I believe. This is what you have done in my heart. You have washed my sins away. You have cleansed me from guilt. Paul says you were were washed. Some of you were sexually immoral. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were men who practiced homosexuality. Some were thieves. Some were greedy. Some were drunkards. Some were revilers. Some were swindlers. And Jesus washed you. He wiped your guilt away. He cleansed you. Such a wonderful truth. Such a wonderful Wonderful thing to know. If you're in Christ, you are clean. Your, your sins are, are washed. They're, they're, your, your record is, is guiltless now. He says you were washed. You, you used to be that, but now you're washed. You're sanctified. You've been set apart. You've been made holy. That break with the love of sin has has happened. There's a break there. Paul refers to being sanctified in, in Romans 6.11. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Christ you have been set apart. You have been made holy. You've been sanctified. Now that word sanctified, we also use the word sanctification. As, as, as people who come to know the Lord, there's a process of sanctification where from the time you come to know Christ, you surrender to Christ through the end of your days until you see him face to face. There's this process where the Lord is making you more and more and more and more and more and more into the likeness of the image of Christ. 
That's, a, that's a, a process that goes from the time we're saved until we're with the Lord. But here's that one time act that he's referring to when we're regenerated, when we've been given new life in Christ, where immediately he sets us apart and we are made holy and our identity in Christ is holiness. It's, it's in Ephesians 1 where he says he loved you and, and he set you apart blameless and holy. We're going to continue that process of sanctification because we live in these bodies of flesh and we're going to continue to struggle with sin. So we need that work to continue. But in Christ, our identity is you have been sanctified. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The word justified is such good, good news. It's a judicial word. It's a judicial work. It's that work where an unrighteous person is declared righteous by God. That by grace alone, through faith alone, God counts believers in Jesus Christ to be perfectly righteous and totally acceptable in His presence forever. That God credits the perfection of Christ to those who are united to Christ by faith. That we are credited with the very righteousness of Christ. Why? Because of God's grace. And then in Christ, we've been washed and we've been sanctified and we have been justified in Him. And that's not Him just sweeping sin under the rug undealt with. That's not Him just ignoring sin. No, sin was dealt with. Punishment was given. Payment was made by Christ on the cross. That's what we sang earlier. Jesus paid it all. And so when we talk about justification, when we talk about being justified, it's not God just turning a blind eye to sin. He didn't turn a blind eye to sin. He punished His Son. And the sins of those who would come to him were poured out on his son. He was credited with unrighteousness. Jesus was credited as a sexually immoral, idolater, adulterer, man who practiced homosexuality, thief, greedy, drunkard, reviler, swindler. Jesus was counted as that on the cross. So that when we trust in him, his righteousness is counted to us. So it's not that he just sweeps this under the rug. No, payment was made in Christ. Wrath was poured out on Jesus and his righteousness, his perfect life. He never sinned. His perfect life, his perfect righteousness is then credited to our account. We're justified in Christ. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, credited with perfect righteousness. Why? Because God made Jesus to be sin, although he had never sinned. 
how great is the truth of justification and sanctification and, and being washed. We're clean. We, we once were unrighteous. And if we're in Christ, the Corinthians, if you were in Christ, then you, you're made new. You're, you're not that any longer. That's what you were. Our record of sin is nailed to the cross. We are credited with righteousness. We're acceptable to God. Charles Spurgeon writing on this very thought, he says, you were often sinning, but he is always forgiving you. You're often wandering, often erring, often grieving him, but he forgiveth all thine iniquities. He continues, he says, I do not feel like preaching when I touch this. I heartily wish I could sit down and have a happy cry over this blessed truth that my God is at this moment forgiving me. Paul says, don't you, don't you understand? Don't you get it? That's what you were. How could you live that way? That's what you were, but now something's happened inside of you. You've been made new. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You have been justified. Why? Because of God. Because of His grace. God's kingdom is a righteous kingdom. If you seek to be unrighteous, you can't be a part of His kingdom. And righteousness is only possible through a gracious transaction. Righteousness is graced. It's given. It's not earned. And if we are recipients of that grace, if we've been washed, if we've been sanctified, if we've been justified, what Paul is saying is how can we go on living as if, as if we haven't, if those things haven't happened to us? How do we go on that way? I want to ask you to do something as we're wrapping this up. I just want you to ask yourself a question. As you think through verses 9 and 10, do you, know, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I just want you to ask yourself, Am I one of these or was I one of these? If you're in Christ, as Paul says in in chapter 5, if you bear the name of brother or sister, I want you to look at Galatians 5 just quickly. Just think through this as you ask this question of yourself. How am I living Galatians 5, verse, starting with verse 16, just a few verses here. Paul writes to the Galatians, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's, here's the question that, that I think we should consider. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Paul gives us a, a, a list there, and gives us a list here in 1 Corinthians, and it's, it's not meant for us to go through and say, have I done this one time? No, is this who you are? And when you do sin, are you repentant? Are you in Christ so that, so that you're returning to Christ and repenting and, and seeking Him? Not. But the question I want you to ask is, am I one of these or was I one of these? If you're in Christ, is there a battle going on against the flesh? That's what the Spirit does. Is there that battle that's going on so that the Spirit is working in me and and, and drawing me and pulling me to do what honors the Lord? It doesn't mean that I always do it. I want to. I want to. You know, this week as the Lord has worked on me through this passage, I'm a prideful person. I just, I I realize that more and more and more and more and more, I don't want to be. I don't want to be that way. And I'm just sitting in my office and, and praying and asking the Lord to work in me His Spirit to help me in humility so that when, when things are said or, or whatever happens, I'm not thinking me first. So there's a work, there's a battle of the Spirit. But what is, what is my intentions? What is my life? He's, he's not talking about a one-time circumstance here. But who are you? Has the Lord made you new? Has he, has he washed you? Has He sanctified you? Has He justified you? And if that's true, it's true. Here's the great news. If that's true, it is true. Paul's talking to people who are, who are struggling living in these ways, who are inviting this kind of thing in the church. But he's saying, I'm trying to remind you of something. You're different. You're set apart. Your identity is in Christ. How dare we live this way if Christ has set us apart to be holy and blameless? So I'm not trying to tell you doubt your faith. If you're in Christ, this is truth. And therefore, how are you living? Are you living as one who's been adopted as a child of God and set apart in His presence? You are holy and blameless. Are you living holy that way? That's what Paul's challenging the Corinthians with. They're not. If we're not, we need to confess. We need to repent of our sin. We need to turn to Jesus. We need to be restored in fellowship. We need to live for His glory and not for our own glory. Let me also say, maybe you're here and you realize by God's grace that you're a part of the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And my hope is, as you see this, and the hope of of what can be done in Christ, that we can be made new and the guilt of sin can be washed away and we can be credited with perfect righteousness that you, like the, the Jew, Jewish people that Peter was preaching to in Acts 3, as he preaches through this sermon and they know, they know at that moment we're the unrighteous, we're the ones that you're talking about, we're the unrighteous people. And their response is, what shall we do? What shall we do? So my response to you would be the same as what he responds to them. Repent 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means turn to Christ. Turn to God. Turn away from your sin. Trust in Christ and what He has done on the cross, being punished for sin He didn't deserve to be punished for. Turn to Him. Repent of your sin and turn to Him and trust in Him to do what you can never do yourself. You can't clean yourself up enough. You can't do it. He's done it. He's made it possible. Have faith in Him. Faith that does something. Even shows that faith through baptism. Trusting in Him for forgiveness. Not in yourself to try to earn forgiveness. And you will be washed just as the Corinthians, just as those of us here are in Christ. You will be washed. You'll be sanctified. You'll be justified. You'll be a child of the king of the universe. I heard a quote from Alistair Begg this week. It said this. He just is a simple quote. He just said, it is an unnecessary thing to remain wicked. Jesus has made a way. Jesus has paid for sins. If we just come to him, Submit to Him, surrender to Him, that we'll be washed clean, forgiven. Let me pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the truth of this passage. Thank You, God, that not because of us, but because of grace. Any of those here who are in Christ, it's true that they've been washed, they've been sanctified, they've been justified. We're new creatures in You, Lord. It's totally set apart, completely credited with perfect righteousness. What a joy, Lord. What a blessing. What a relief. What a relief. It's not dependent on me and my pride. It's not dependent on, on us and our, and our unrighteousness and in our attempts at righteousness to, to find salvation. But your spirit works. You awaken. You draw. You save you cleanse, you sanctify, you justify. So God, I pray for every single person here, including myself, Lord. Lord, we want to live for you. We want to live as we are. And if, if we're in Christ, then we want to live that way. You have done a great work in us and you have equipped us with your Holy Spirit and your word that we can walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. So help us, God, help us to honor you, to glorify you, to display you as we respond to you and to the truth of what you have done in our hearts. I pray for any person here who does not know you, Lord. What a joy it is to know you. I pray that they would, Lord, that their eyes would be opened by your spirit, that they would believe that they would surrender to you for salvation, to be saved, to be washed, that the guilt of sin would be washed away, that they would be made holy in you, Lord. What a thought that that is. If we could be set apart and holy, that they would be credited with righteousness, acceptable in your presence because of Jesus, Lord. I pray for them that you would work in their hearts for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.